Welcome to episode 834 of I Am Talk, your weekly fix in all things Iron Man. Radio team, welcome along to episode 834 of I'm Talk with Coach John Newsom and Bevan James Oz. How you going, mate? Pretty good, Bevan, and yourself? Yeah, pretty good as well. Had a haircut? Uh, I have had a haircut. Yeah. When did I have a haircut? It's a good haircut. They didn't go too short this time. I reckon I had this haircut last week. Uh, maybe it's yeah. going out a week. Yeah. Maybe that's why it looks so good now. Some haircuts need a week. Mm, they do. You know? Mm. You know? Start, we have not starting today's show with the weather report. It's a haircut report. Yep. Yep. The, the lake down below is draining out, which is encouraging. Mm. That's good as well. Yep, that's pretty much it. I Am Talk is proudly brought to you by... Our fantastic patrons. Let's go Damien, $100 Bill Bennett. Jeff, the Explosion Curry. How do you say Alan's second name? Kupta's Chan. Iron Palm. Again, this, uh, we'll also say thank you to our patron partners, and we've got Profile Design, www.profile-design.com. Hydration, wheels, storage, aero bars, steams, Handlebars, you want good gear, check them out. And the World Triathlon store. So go on to imtalk.me, click on our store button, and you can go and get some IM Talk gear. Or if you need to get your own gear done for your team or club, go check out the World Triathlon store. Now, in this week's show, we've got some news. We've got a hot topic of the week. I have it. Well, I did an interview with a man by the name of Rick Alderman. He is our orthopedic physical therapist who reckons he's got the answer to solving a lot of problems. Okay. So we'll be digging deep into that. Um, history lesson? We are going to talk about the Commonwealth Games, especially for you non... Uh, well, it's a history lesson slash quiz question. So we're going to talk a bit about the Commonwealth Games. Okay, and then uh, wing or the week questions and answer at the end. Okay, well, the big race... Well, we, you haven't got the Commonwealth Games results in here. Where's that? Is that yeah, it's in, oh, down it's below. in the short okay. course update. Okay, uh, Alpe d'Huez happened over the weekend, one of the iconic triathlon races. Love to do it. Would you love to do it? I'm doing it in two years' time. Come and do it with me. Do it in 2020. What are we, 2023? What are you doing a camp around it, Yeah. So oh. you have a little bit of fitness built into it. So if anybody is keen to do the Alpe d'Huez Triathlon, get in touch. I'm going to do a camp there. Uh, I'm planning to do a camp So in does it finish on that race? Yeah. So we'll do about a week of sort of touring around and then finish with the race. Oh, uh, so fun. A, pretty sure we're going to get to do, we'll, I'm pretty sure I have the route. We'll do Mont Ventoux. We'll do uh, the Col de, de Isouard. Uh, you'll get to do the Galibier probably, and then we'll go and do Mont Ventoux. Not Mont Ventoux, uh, the Alpe d'Huez Triathlon. Now, now, wait a second. You're making out we've talked about this before. You've never mentioned this on the show. Well, I'm mentioning it now. So get your, get your bike dusted off. And Epic Camp Alpe d'Huez, is it? Yep, in 2024. There you go. There you go. So lock it into your diaries, Bevan. Okay, well, we had the race happen over the weekend. Uh, pretty strong performance in the female race. Yeah, Barbara Riveros, former short course athlete, pretty much smoked it. She is a tiny athlete, so probably performs extremely well on the bike. And she did put, you know, a good seven minutes into the, the second place, get her on the bike, and then ran a 128. So to put in perspective, the Alpe d'Huez triathlon, the swim takes 30 minutes. The bike for the first female takes 4.33, and the run is at 128. So the run you run up at Alpe d'Huez, so you're doing it at altitude. It's um, mostly on the road. You've got a little bit of trail run. Running, um, but you are doing it at altitude and it does go up and down quite a bit. So she crushed it, went 6.35 and won by 
around about eight and a half minutes over Svenja Tholes and Alexandra Tondur in third place. And the men's race was, was almost a do-do domination. Well, not really, but one by eighteen minutes. So pretty. Uh, Leon Chevrolet took it out pretty strongly. He caned it. Uh, swam twenty nine fifty five. Rode a three fifty two. So how long is the bike? Uh, I. I haven't got it in front of me, but I'll I think it's eighty k. I think it's eighty k's or it's something like that. It's not the length; it's the amount of altitude. Oh so yeah, yeah. You have outdoors at the end, uh, and you have the Col d'Ognon or something like that somewhere in there, and, then, and there's another smaller col as well. So a lot of climbing. Uh, so he rode a three fifty two. To put that in perspective, second place uh, or second place overall bike time was four eleven, uh, and then Leon Chevalier ran one fifteen to win by. 18 or a couple of seconds under 18 minutes. Uh, Simon Vian was second and Albert Morlans was third in a 601. Well, I've got an old Strava file that says it's 113, but if I try to look for the race. Yeah, uh, a couple of other things to note on the race was Cameron Brown was over there doing it. He's on his uh, his world tour doing all the ticking all the, good ticking boxes. All the boxes. He went into Challenge Rote uh, and didn't go especially crazy fast 840 still it's a fast time we know that but compared to what I think he wanted to go it wasn't that quick and here uh, not quite sure what happened um, but he ended up going 22nd uh, he was I think he was 28th overall um, but he did beat the first female so he didn't get checked uh, so he said awesome race and he's over there he did a bit of a tour I think it was Jamie Hunt who we had on the podcast a while ago it was his sort of 50th and they went and did a bunch of uh, mountain climbing around France and he's ticked oh. that one off and next on Cameron Brown's big tour is going to do the Embram Im- Man which is another race I'm desperately keen to do at some stage so Good on Brownie for ticking off all the bucket list races while he can. So the distance on the bike is 118. So it's pretty decent because you then finish up going up um, Alpe don't you? Oh, yeah, yeah. Alpe is it's a tough climb. Uh, you know, the par sort of mark when I've done it, not cranking it is an hour. Uh, so in the race, I'd be probably slower than an hour. So put that in perspective, an hour at, you know. How, uh, how challenging is the run? Uh, it's not too bad, but it's at altitude. So yeah. you, when you're tired and... You've just climbed now, so you've probably been working quite hard. Uh, I imagine it's quite difficult. But it certainly goes up and down, but nothing crazy. But you are at... And what kind of gradient? For the run or for the bike? bike. Oh, Alpe d'Huez is not that steep. I don't know, it probably averages maybe 9%, maybe maybe 10. Yeah, It's not too bad. You've got lots of switchbacks. And uh, one one other person who was racing was... uh, Good old Sam Long, and oh, yeah, so he made life difficult for himself because he was riding quite well. He rode a four oh five, which is still it was the second fastest bike split. Um, but he was going did it on his TT bike, which has only got. Uh, for some of you guys won't know this, bikes these days are shifting towards just having one chainring on the front, yep. especially TT bikes. And so he had one chainring. Uh, you can get enough gear ratios okay. on the back. And anyway, he only had a fifty. 3.33 I think I saw him post uh, and that's quite a big gear to be climbing with and it sounds like he smoked his legs <laughs> and the problem with people like Sam Long when you put things out there it sounded like he was just going to do this race on a whim he was in Europe he's yep. just going to want to go do it cool race iconic you see it in the Tour de France go and do it and he didn't have the, the equipment. It sounds like he tried to get it fixed, but he couldn't get it sorted. So he just thought, oh, bugger, I'm just going to do it. And he just gets slammed in social media just saying he's not professional and he uh, should have had that sorted. Down. And yeah, to a degree, he probably should have been. But hey, he just wanted to go do a race and just be nice. Okay, John, you were adamant 
you were like, there's no way this is ever happening. I said last, I, even last week I mentioned this. Mm-hmm. I said, well, what you, what's the chance of Cohen to go in two days? No, nah, won't happen. Accommodation. What's happening in 2023, John? Two days. Format again. So is this the future? Well, we, we have to assume so, don't we? You, you would think so. So I think what people need to be ready for is should be a lot more slots around the world. You know, we talked about lots of roll downs this year. Does it kill um, the buzz? Well, who knows? We'll see. I think it's going to be awesome. Oh, on no, but, Saturday. but I mean, does it kill the prestige? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I, like to get to Kona when you're, you know, only one day, mm-hmm. it's bloody hard. You have to be mm-hmm. a very good athlete. When there's two days, and now suddenly you're going to, what, 1,500 of each sex? Mm. You know? Uh, and I think it'll be, I, I don't think so. I think what killed, people are getting annoyed with these massive roll downs. And it could, because normally you think, okay, there's three slots in my age group. I finished in 10th, 12th, 15th place. No point going to the roll down. If you can go, oh, there's probably going to be six or seven slots in my age group, different story. So it is going to roll down a bit further. So and I, don't, I don't think that. I just think if, if it does roll down all the time, then it does start to kill it a bit because there's 70.3 to qualify for that. You know, you base, for a lot of races, you just turn up and boom, you get a slot. Does it diminish? Here we go. Does it diminish those in the past who had to qualify on a one-day Ironman? Possibly a little bit, but hey, I don't think personally. I don't. No, care it about doesn't that. bother me. But I'm just, no. you know, uh, I think it's a good thing because a we can get more legacy there. Mm-hmm. You know, because you know the problem for legacy is there's such a backup that you know it's, it's crazy. Whereas if you have got two day, you could almost get legacy and do it next year. I imagine. Uh, yes, yeah, so I th- I think that. Hopefully they'll add more legacy slots in. You would assume they must do. Yes, you know, this is a let's not let's be honest. Above everything, this is a money making thing. They're going. Oh, yeah. We want more money. Uh, let's put it on two days. The pluses are. I think the Saturday race is going to be awesome. If you're a female or one of the older males racing on the Thursday. I think that might be slightly diminished. Um, oh, so they have a day in between. Yeah, so it's Thursday and Saturday. I yeah. So I think Thursday will be um, a lot smaller buzz yeah. um, because you won't have the males out there watching, obviously. Well, they probably will a little bit, but they'll probably just be standing outside their condos and that's about it. Uh, so I think Thursday might be a bit diminished, but the upside of that is the females are going to get you know wall-to-wall coverage. Yeah. Um, but on the Saturday, when you've got that extra couple of thousand people watching on the course, I think that's going to be awesome. So I think main thing is for people to get out of this is if you if you have been in the ballpark before, uh, get ready for more slots coming up. Uh and also, if you are thinking about going, <laughs> you book your accommodation so far in advance because that is the big thing that I think is going to be a real struggle is trying to get accommodation. If anybody qualifies, say, in the next, you know, this weekend we've got four Ironmans coming up, you qualify there, where are you going to stay? Nowhere. Yeah, the, the Airbnbs, does it help? No, no. It doesn't? Well, not unless you're prepared to pay a couple of thousand dollars a night sort of thing. So that is the problem. It is a problem. Uh, anything else about it? Do you think they've opened the can of worms now it's hard to go back? Well. Because they've obviously got permission from the local council. Yeah, I would have thought they would have potentially waited until they've actually seen how it goes, but. Do you pay more to do Kona? Is Sorry? it more than a normal Ironman? Uh, I haven't been for so long, I wouldn't know. I think it's, it's about the same. Yeah, about a thousand bucks or so. So yeah. if you get an extra 1500, so it's, not, it's not huge money, is it? Yeah, but the money into the economy is going to be no. Massive. But I mean, like for Ironman, to put mm. on an extra date, like don't get me wrong, they make money, but it's not like. Well, then there's a trickle down effect. You know, they might go, okay, Kona, you've got to pay us more money to have the race there. Um, 
in terms of hosting fee if they in fact charge anything because Kona could just say we're not paying you anything yeah. if you want to come that's fine and they can't move it from Kona yeah whereas everywhere else is an Iron Man you they'll be paying a fortune to have them there but uh, Kona yeah who knows more, okay. more positives than negatives but the accommodation is the big change well big we'll know in a few months won't we we'll kind of hear what people say especially like if you qualify in the next three weeks Mm. You're screwed. Mm. It's like mid-August closes off, isn't it? Yeah, I think Canada normally qualifies for Kona, which is, that's in about three weeks' time. You're sleeping on the street. Mm. Luckily, it's warm in Hawaii. Okay, Lucy Charles is back to running uh, on a YouTube channel. Uh, it'll be interesting to see when she'll be back racing. Now, when you say she's back running, is she kind of back, back jogging? running? Yeah, or, okay. she's, she's back to running. So I was just wondering whether we'll see her racing at the end of this year. You know, I'm thinking... We're in July now, July, August, September, October, maybe sort of December. There's some late season races. I saw there's that clash race again in Daytona in December. So maybe we'll see her towards the end of the year. Who knows? Those what injuries did you do again? Yeah, okay, uh, stress fracture, I think it was in her hip. Okay. Oh, uh, geez. So I remember when Lionel Sanders, I think he had the same injury or it was a similar injury. He did seem to be back racing that season. So um, yeah, it'd be nice to see see her back. We've got a lot of non-pro races coming up. You did a quick count now. There's 49 Ironman, full-distance Ironman on the calendar now in a year. Yes, just dub Ironman-branded races. Now, what I did try to do, and this was going to be the question of the week, is how many of them are non-pro races, but I couldn't figure it out <laughs> because it's changed so much over the last year with catch-up races and okay. all that sort of stuff. So we have four non-pro races this weekend? No, coming up this okay. weekend, we've got Ironman Tallinn, which is in Estonia, Ironman Genia, which I think is in Poland, Ironman Maastricht, which is in... Holland and the first Ironman Alaska. Oh, cool! That'd be a good place to do a race, wouldn't it? It would. Have yeah. you been to Alaska? I have not. Yeah, people rave about it. Yeah. Okay, Collins Cup is in less than three weeks from now. Uh, Collins Cup automatic picks will be confirmed late. No, automatic picks. Uh, oh, sorry, automatic confirmed. picks. But the the team captain picks will be coming out in next week or so. So, John's done. If he was the captain, Captain John it was John versus John. Because I really liked the website Try247, um, yep. John Leveson there, yep. and, and he I could hear job. him, he was on the commentary for the Commonwealth Games over the weekend, not the commentary, on the, you could hear him in the background, he was one of the, the MCs there. Okay. Uh, so they've done their picks on who they think the, the captain's picks will be. Just in terms of the automatic qualifiers, that has been confirmed now. Uh, for Europe, you've got on the men's side, Christian Blumenfeld, Gustav Eden, Patrick Langer and Magnus Ditlev. Um, for America, you've got Matt Hansen, Sam Long, Rudy Von Berg, and Chris Leiferman. And for Team Internationals, you've got Lionel Sanders, Braden Curry, Max Newman, and Jackson Laundry. Uh, on the females in Team Europe, you've got Danielle Reef, Annie Haug, Laura Phillip, and Kat Matthews. Uh, America, you've got Taylor Nibb, Sky Monch, uh, Chelsea Sodaro, and Jackie Herring. And for the internationals, you've got Paula Finlay, Ashley Gentle, Tamara Jewett, and Ali Salthouse. Just a quick note, is Frodo out of Kona? Um, how am I going to answer that? No, but you know, like, what is it, 10 weeks? No, nah, nah, I think he'll be, as long as he's running, he's going to be sweet. You okay. saw and wrote, he crushed it in the swim bike, so as long as he's running and he's in reasonable run shape. We're just uh, not seeing anything of him, but which, you know. Yeah, you never do, though. Yeah, he, 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 normally, normally his season is... Maybe a 70.3 at the start of the year, maybe Oceanside, and then he'll maybe do a race in Germany. He used to do an Olympic distance race, and then he'll do uh, Rote or um, 
Ironman Germany, something like that, and then does Kona. So if he's if he's oh, fit, no, but he'd Ironman, normally do this. Sorry, he'd do this normally. Oh, what last year? Yeah, you know, yeah. you know, if he was fit right now, he'd be there. Mm. You know, so you know, it's just it's getting close, and the fact he's not racing this. No, I know. Oh, he hasn't said he's not racing this. Wow, isn't it? true? Yeah. True. So yeah, no, he definitely hasn't said he's not racing this. Um, well, I haven't seen that anywhere, but he he's not picked automatically because he hasn't been racing. So that's well, why he's your number one pick then, isn't he? If he's racing, well. Yes and no, yes. Oh, here we go. <laughs> so anyway, um, on to, to the, the, the picks for the captains. Uh, they get to do two, male and female, for each team. And you pretty much go anywhere you want. And it's going to be really interesting to see where they go because I've got a couple, of, a couple of left field picks because we all know Europe, uh, on paper, pretty strong. Dominant. But when, having said that, you look through it, and you go, it kind of depends who you line up against who. And that's where it gets quite tricky because you, you're looking, Team Europe, Christian Blumenfeld, Gustav Eden, whoever you put up against them, yep. they're probably winning unless something, <laughs> unless something happens. You've got Patrick Langer and Magnus Ditlev, both awesome. But if you're putting Lionel Sanders up against Patrick Langer over a, you know, yep. a 70.3, I'm going, I'm probably picking Lionel Sanders there. And Curry's pretty sharp. Yeah, and Magnus Ditlev, an amazing rote, and he's an awesome athlete. But you know, you put someone like Sam Long or Rudy von Berg, they've beaten him before, as his um, probably Lionel, as Lionel Sanders has. So those two are not gimmies. If you put your third and fourth up against them and sort of go one versus one across the board, two versus two, then you probably say Germany have it. But you might see a few Germany interesting matchups or so Europe. Europe, Europe might have it. Um, Is so that yeah, a war? A few little, few little interesting potential battles there. And equally on the women's side. You know, would you say, um, you know, the, the form that Ashley Gentle showed at the Canadian PTO race, I'd put her up against anybody. You know, Daniela Reef, these days is a bit up and down. When she's on fire, just about unbeatable. Yep. Um, but last year we saw Taylor Nib absolutely smoke everybody. Um, Paula Finlay, when she's on fire, can beat anybody in that field. Um, so the top couple in the interna- internationals and Americans could cause a bit of grief. So, okay, yeah. so let's go to your picks because you've got one very interesting one in here. <laughs> so for USA, you've got for the females? Yeah, I've gone for Sarah True, who she's had two races since coming back from having a baby. Now, she is 40, um, but she's won both of them and she's beaten some some good athletes in the process. So I'm pu- putting her in as my first pick. And then? Then I've gone Taylor Spivey because when I look at the rest of the American woman, look, no disrespect, they're good, solid athletes, but I don't see them beating some of those top Europeans. So I'm thinking you've got to go outside the box a little bit. What are you going to get with Taylor Spivey? Those that don't know her, she's a um, short course athlete, does really well on the world triathlon circuit. She's normally sitting in about fifth place or so. Really good swimmer, pretty solid on the bike, good runner, good across the board. She's always going to be in the game, whereas if you pick one of the other athletes, they're potentially going to be out of the game and out the back door. At least Taylor Spivey is going to be in there and just go, right, smoke the swim, See if I can hang in there on the bike, and I've got a pretty reasonable chance uh, on the run. I'll be John Levinson. He's gone Watts and McCauley. Yeah, so um, McCauley raced last year. I think she got a late call up, and Sophie she Watts. Got a ride, didn't she? Uh, I think she got beaten. I oh, think. I can't remember. Um, 
and Sophie Watts had a reasonably good race at the PTO race. So okay, then the do men... you do you want? That's the thing. Do you want to go with the long course athletes that have been loyal and they've performed okay? You're saying short course. I'm going short course. You're saying if there's a short course option, take the short course. <laughs> yeah. Okay, and the men's for the US, uh, I've gone for Ben Canute and uh, West. Both of them have. And John Levinson okay. went for West Same. and Chartier. Oh, he's gone for Chartier. Who he again? He was a late call up last year as well. Uh, he. Caught, called in for Rudy Monberg, who was injured. Okay, and the European females? I've gone for Emma Pallant-Brown, which I think everyone will go for. She's an amazing athlete, and just the, the fact that she can't make the team automatically is, is, is staggering. Uh, and then I'm going a little bit left field again with my second pick, with Jodie Stimson. But that's assuming she's fit. And so this is, if you're a team captain, you're going to call somebody up and go, what sort of form, what sort of injuries? You're going to have a chat to a few other people. But if she's fit, we saw her absolutely crush one of those clash races, uh, but she hasn't done a great deal since. She's very much a a yo-yo athlete going up and down quite a bit. Okay, John from Try247 has gone Pallet Brown and then Sperig. Everyone keeps picking Sperig. Well, you're not picking her. Um... She didn't do that well in the Canadian Open. Um, she she, she, yeah, she did well. do well in the in the sub eight challenge until she sort of faded a bit. Great athlete, but I'd just say she hasn't still got, hasn't quite got that X factor these days in terms of you got to go outside the box a little bit. I think in the men's uh, back and guard who performed really well last year and again really hard to make the the team. He didn't get to race at the PTO event because I think he might have been injured. Um, and then the second choice is a little tricky. You know, as we said before, you'd pick Frodo if he's fit and keen, yeah. but probably not. So next I'm going, again, thinking outside the square a bit, I'm going Leo Bergier or Pierre Lacour, who are both a couple of Frenchies who are short course athletes. They've both done a 70.3 this year and absolutely smoked it. Pick and guard and for Sam Laidlow for... Europe for Try247, and then international. This is where it gets really interesting. Well, on Try247, um, John Levison asked Flora Duffy, apparently, if she got picked, would she go? And apparently she said she, she would. Okay, well, so that's, that's, that's a no-brainer. She is another one. I would put so much money on her, absolutely crushing everybody if she's fit uh, and getting big points from the international. So I'm picking uh, her. And then my second choice was uh, Jenny Metzler, who raced last year. And she's normally a fantastic 70.3 athlete. Didn't do very, I think she got last place at the PTO race. So again, that's a discussion you have. If she's injured or sick or, or whatever, then you wouldn't pick her. But if she's um, just had a, had a shitter there, then uh, I'd pick her. But it was close. John's gone on Lopez. Yeah, he's, she's gone for Duffy and Lopez, and she performed really well at the PTO race the other day. And I think she got maybe fifth or so, so she would be my next cab off the rank. She's a short course athlete. That was her first sort of half-distance race. Okay, so you both agreed we're on the same people for the international, but John has got a little bit of a side note, a bit of a gamble, yeah. one would say. So for the men's internationals, um, Aaron Royal, I've picked him because he had an awesome race at the PTO event a couple of weeks ago. Uh, and then it was a toss-up between Kyle Smith, the Kiwi, yep. and Sam Appleton, the Australian. And I've gone for Kyle Smith because Kiwi, and he's just got a little bit more X factor to him. Uh, and John Levison did the same. He's there. a pretty good fighter too, isn't he? Mm. Yeah, he's got a bit of edge. But there's a big but here. You've, you've got to think, think how the hell are we going to beat Europe? How are we going to do it? And we've got to go for a bit of X Factor. And so I've gone, if he was keen, Hayden Wild. Do you think he'd be keen? Uh, he loves the challenge. I don't know. And he has done a 70.3. I think he might have done it just before COVID hit. 
He might have done. How did he go? Uh, not that great. Okay. Yeah, like I think he got. Third. It was a New Zealand one, wasn't it? Yeah, it was, yeah, was top yeah. and I imagine it might have been in December before COVID hit. Yeah, it was too. Yeah. Uh, and I think he got third. I think it was maybe Carl Smith and. And he wasn't really rocking up the world yet, was he? He was a good young athlete who was showing potential. He, he was on his way. Yeah. And I thought he'd smoke it, but he didn't. Um, but again, Hayden Wild, he'll keep you in the game. And he's so big, a lot of the uh, the short course athletes, maybe their bike is not that strong. Hayden Wild's bike is yeah. awesome. Yep. Whether or not he can hold it together for 80 or 90 Ks, I don't know. But his his swim, based on the Commonwealth Games, is going really, really well. And so he's going to kind of keep you in the game. And But he's not going to be in a pack. Yeah. But he doesn't often doesn't need a pack. Uh, no, for, the, for the swim. True. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So I'm thinking uh, you've got it. You've got to figure out a way you can beat Europe, and if you go for the steady eddies, uh, so you get Wild and Duffy. We look like a pretty strong team, don't we? Yeah, hell yeah, yeah. And add an Aaron Royal who had crushed it at the seventy point three. If he can perform like that, the uh, Collins Cup, you mean the Canadian at uh, the Canadian Open? Yep, yep. If they can all perform to their best, and you know you have a few kinks in the European armor like they did last. You know, Reef was sick. Yep. Uh, you have a few more of those sort of incidents. They haven't got Lucy Charles this year, um, so. Let's keep this interesting. Let's keep it. And I like it, John. Mm. That's what this is about. It's meant to be interesting. Like, yeah, Hayden Wild there. Mm. That makes it, it keeps it really fascinating. Okay, John's short course update. So we had the Commonwealth Games. They're happening here. Now, for those people in non-Commonwealth countries, it's a... It's so a, save that. We're going, to, we're going to talk about Commonwealth Games later in our, in our okay. history lesson. Okay. So we had four different races happen. We had the men's, the women's, the para. Now, in the paras, do they have different categories? This time they did not. At the Olympics, they have all sorts of categories. From from my understanding, and apologies if I got it wrong, it looked to me like it was just the vision impaired, uh, a vision impaired race, so just okay. a, a one-off. So a question about the paras, because I was watching at the treble. First of all, how fast could you swim 50 metres in if you went balls out? A 50? Uh, the, uh, if I didn't train for it, like if you said go and do it today, yep. um, probably about a 33. Three, maybe a 32 seconds. Okay, and what if you trained? Mm, Could you get sub 30? No, no. So that's probably, I'm probably actually being a bit generous on myself there. I'd probably say 32 to 33 if I trained okay. for, so for a little while. For I was it. watching on the treadmill this morning, I was watching the power game, or the Commonwealth Games. They, they, the athletes, both able bodied and disabled athletes, compete in the same event. So it's not like they, the Olympics where they have one event, then the next event. Well, um, no, you get different disabilities racing in the same. Yeah, but I mean, yeah, but so like at the Olympics, they do the able bodied Olympics. But, and and then, then, yeah. yeah. Whereas Commonwealth Games, they all work together. So I was kind of watching some swimming on the treadmill. And they had the only thing I that struggle with the disabled athletes is how does it feel? Because they, oh, it's not. Yeah, I watched a 50, 50 meter freestyle, and this Australian guy didn't seem like he'd like he obviously did, but he had hands, he had everything. Yeah. Whereas the guy who got third had no hands, well, and he did twenty nine. Yeah, well, no a, hands. And there was a breaststroke race. We had a Kiwi who actually won the gold, and he has uh, lost his arm from arm. his elbow yeah. down. Uh, but he was racing against a guy who was had it from the knee down uh, yeah. on his leg, and it's like you're going to get a lot more propulsion from two arms than you are. But anyway, yeah. It is worth. But then I was watching this next race. The 29's fast. What do you yeah. call a short person nowadays? Because uh, you know, I don't know the don't official know. name, but you know what I mean, a short person. Um, and they all come up to line. I thought the short person's got no hope yeah. in breaststroke, and she blitzed the field. Nice. She probably put like half a length on them, nice. and because she was like, a, like her arms and legs were just going so fast, yeah. and she only breathed, breathed every second's time. 
Yeah. You know, because yeah. her, her turnover rate was so fast. Nice. It was absolutely fantastic because I was like, when she was walking, I was like, you got no hope of yeah. leaders like that. And she blitzed the field. Okay, so let's talk about each race. So the men's race was very controversial. Great race, but controversial. Yeah, so if, um, it, was a, it was these sprint distance races that come off games. Uh, Got to give credit. The, the Poms do these championship events like this and like um, Leeds and like the Olympics. They do it bloody well. Like the crowd was The crowd mental. was pumping, wasn't it? And I was watching the, the mixed team relay and they were going up this, they had this one street, uh, they went up and the whole course, so the whole five kilometres, it was 5k lap on the bike, is barricaded. Yep. And going up that road, it was just mental. Yeah, it was great. proper Tour de France stuff. And I was thinking, imagine if they had this at like one of the PTO races. Yeah, that's, and, that's what we need. And even if the racing wasn't interesting, just seeing somebody ride up a street like that, I'm engaged going, yeah. Yeah. This is cool. Yeah. Because uh, I was on the treadmill the other morning. I've had a bit of injury, so I'm not, I'm not doing much road running at the moment. But, and I was watching it. It, was, it must have been a tour stage. Mm. And guys run up the hill, but it's the crowd. brings It makes mm. it more attractive watching, doesn't it? Totally. Yeah. So men's race, um, Hayden Wilde had the swim of his life coming out right at the front. And there was a couple of really good swimmers there. There was small field, but a couple of really good swimmers. He came out like third place. Uh, and I'm thinking, right. He's Game just going to put the hammer down on the bike. And he did. And he did. Uh, and he took with him Kiwi Taylor Reid and the South African fella, um, Jamie Riddle. And they had a three-man breakaway. And they were riding against a pack of probably 15 or so. And it sort of eked out. First lap was like 15 seconds. Then it went to 20. And then it sort of held at about 20. And I said to Tom... It's going to blo- and I think I said to him, it's going to balloon out on this, this third lap. That's Which it didn't really, did it? And that's what I was expecting. I thought it's going to go to at least about 30, and then if it goes to that, then we should be sweet. Yep. But then it didn't, and then it dropped a little bit on the last lap. It was about was like, 16 oh. at the end, wasn't it? Yeah. And the irony of all this was there was a crash earlier this year in Leeds that Hayden Wilde put his hand up and said, it's kind of my fault, that yep. crash. And it did take down Alex G and it took down Johnny Brownlee. Brownlee yep. Irony of this is if Johnny Brownlee hadn't had that crash and he was racing this event, I'd almost guarantee Hayden Wilde would have won the gold medal. Why? Because he would have been in the breakaway with Hayden Wilde. Oh. And the, the, the difficulty with the breakaway was Hayden Wilde was by far the strongest and he yep. was doing a huge amount of the work. And the Kiwi boy wasn't doing much work, was he? And it's because he couldn't yeah. because yeah. he was riding on his limit and so was the South African. So Hayden Wilde was doing a cranking the work and then Alex G got to sit in the group behind. Now, they didn't show a huge amount of and the group. And it did look like Alex was doing some work A little front. bit, but yeah. nothing to the extent of Hayden Wilde. Yeah. Uh, and so the, that gap didn't really blow out. So ended up Hayden Wilde. And so as they're little, getting off the bike, did you think, what were you thinking? Oh, I thought... It's really touch and go. Yeah. I was thinking he needs 25 to 30 seconds and he had like 18. Yeah. So I'm thinking he's probably going to be a bit tired. And so I was thinking it's in the balance. As it turned out, he got a penalty coming off the bike. And it was bull crappy malepi. Yeah. No, come on, you watched it. Yeah. He, he had his hand on the thing, but he didn't declip. It was well, I really seen, obvious. I, you haven't seen a freeze frame exactly when he unclipped his helmet. So the, the infringement was you're not allowed to unbuckle your helmet while you're touching your bike. Hayden Wilde ran across to rack his bike. He was touching the hand, the, the um, buckle on his helmet, and it was unclear as to the exact moment when he released that. And because he had his hand there, you couldn't really tell exactly when he pressed that. And that's why he got a 10-second infringement. It was a, such a mood killer, but... It was. You know, because basically, Yee was catching. You're thinking, okay, well, Yee's catching, but, you know, maybe Hayden's saving something in the tank. 
And then, oh, Hayden's got a 10-second penalty. So, so it was all, all over Rovers. So the podium ended up being what most people would have predicted. Alex G was first, Hayden Wild second, and Matt Hauser was in third place. So it was good that Hayden Wild was still able to ha- hold on to the silver medal um, despite the infringements. Now, so, we are protesting, which seems pretty pointless. Yeah, it's not happening. Yeah, they're not going to give them gold, are they? <laughs> yeah. And so whether you like the rule or not, um, it's like it's like the rule's there. You kind of you can't if you're not going to enforce it. What's the point in having a rule? And there's a someone I saw an example there. Spencer Smith in in 1992, 93, 93. They had the World Champs in Manchester, and I vividly remember this <laughs> back then. This particular race was a point to point, and you came in off the bike and you racked your bike, and then you ran a couple of hundred meters or a hundred meters to where your shoes were to put yep. your shoes on. So he'd racked his bike, he's running towards to get his, his shoes, helmet on. and he, he just he just blatantly under his helmet and just threw it, oh, it just wow. <laughs> didn't put it anywhere, and just popped it off and threw it on the ground. And it's, I was like, that's a bit random and carried on and apparently he did actually get DQ'd from the race this is from one Facebook post this may not be official okay. uh, and apparently Simon Lessing who got second refused to get the gold medal he oh, said I'm really? not having it because <laughs> it's ridiculous Spencer Smith won and he, he crushed that race um, so apparently they didn't end up DQing him oh really uh, so literally because Lessing fought yeah wow, he said I'm not having the gold medal so you're not having a world champion I'm, I'm staying with silver oh, re- oh it was the gold medal it was oh, yeah. the world championship yeah this, this was back when it was proper one day world championship wow. wasn't, yeah. I've got to say and I know we'll talk about the other races in a second I haven't watched other races but to me, sprint distance is way more interesting than Olympic distance. Absolutely. It's so much more dynamic and so much more moments. Hmm. Um, Having said that, that's because of the nature of this race. It was a smaller field. There was things happening. Now, had Hayden Wild not had a really good swim, that would have just been a group ride. It would have been you know, 20 people riding a lap. And it if, wouldn't, if it wouldn't was double the distance and he had the swim, what would have happened on the bike? Hmm. That's a good question. I haven't really thought about that. Um, they would have persevered and, and kept going with the, the breakaway. And he would have been more tired coming off the bike. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, and do you think they would have put more of a gap on them? Possibly, but I, th- I still think the result probably would have ended up roughly the so same. Is, is Alex the better athlete, or is it just Alex the day? Is, a bit, is a better runner? Uh, and that's plain and simple. So they're they're pretty even on the swim. Hayden's a better bike cyclist, but Alex G, um, he's not a bad cyclist. Uh, he's not like he's sitting in. Um, yep. But Hayden Wild's a better cyclist. So if this was a non-drafting race, I'd be putting my money on Hayden Wild. Um, but it's not, and that, and so Alex G has always got that slight edge. So he needs Hayden Wiles needs to have an exceptional day, and Alex G needs to have just a slightly subpar day, and then he's uh, then he's got him. It's great because they're both only twenty four. So we've got some really exciting races over the next few years coming up. Okay, the female race. Female race was great. Uh, you had Flora Duffy and George Taylor Brown got in a breakaway, and that was great for well there was actually four of them together and then Flora Duffy just spanked it and George Taylor Brown was the only one that could go with her and Flora Duffy ended up smoking it on the run and I think in a large part because these two are probably sort of evenish on the run I think Flora Duffy's had the, the better of George Taylor Brown but she's really improved a lot but because she made George Taylor Brown work all the way through the bike ride I suspect that probably put a dent in her legs a little bit and Flora Duffy just Caned it, and then uh, Beth Potter was in third place. So yeah, it was it was a good race. Flora Duffy's on fire, isn't she? She's awesome. Jeepers creepers! Okay. She's been around a long. She's not a spring chicken anymore, and she's been around for a long, long time. And she wasn't good from the get go. She worked at it for years and years oh, and really? years. 
So her, she was born in 1987, so 35 this year. Okay, so then we had for the the what's called the PTVI men, which you think is visually impaired. Paratriathlon visually impaired oh, men. There you go. Yep. Okay. Uh, uh, Dave Ellis took it out. Sam Harding in second place. Jonathan, I'm going to say Gorland. Gorlock. Gorlock. And then in the females, it was Katie oh, uh, Kohurst. Crowhurst, and then Chloe McComb, and then Jessica Tomia, Tomilia. Um, did you watch those races? I did not watch the those races, no. But okay. good on, good on for smoking it. And then we had the mixed team relay. No surprises there. England smoked it. There was never really going to be much question about that. They had by far the strongest team. So it was a race for second, really, wasn't race it? Race for second. And as soon as we, the first league was over, and Alex G did smoke Hayden Wild. Big time on the run on that uh, that race, and again it was a it was a real small margins. Alec, um, Hayden Wild had a really good swim again, got a tiny gap, but it just wasn't quite enough to get away from Alex G. And so, what's the distance here? Uh, two or three hundred meter swim, five k bike, two k run. And the bike was a bit shorter than usual, but it was still still a good race and really good course over there. So then it was a battle for second, and as soon as we'd gone through the first leg, I said to Belinda, I said. This is going to come down to what happens on the last leg and whether Andrea Hewitt can, uh, Andrea Hansen can do it for the Kiwis on the last leg. But I thought we'd be battling for second and third. As it turned out, we were battling for second, third, and fourth. And all of our Kiwis just were a little bit, either just not good enough or just didn't quite perform. And Team Wales had a brilliant day. Because you wouldn't have picked them to get second going into it, would you? No, their their fellas performed really well. Their females are easily, their females are probably on par if not better than ours but their boys um, seem to perform exceptionally well so we got fourth which sucks it's nice to have the Commonwealth Games like we are going to do a section on it later on but it's you know it's a cool event for those in the Commonwealth countries it's been Mm. really you know it's still a lot to go but good stuff now interestingly as a side note the TAB in New Zealand paid for Hayden Wild's win really? yeah did really? You know that? No. Yeah, yeah. Richard what Swan won twenty five bucks on it. I saw on Facebook. Swan, you know, I took it out. Um, That's random. That was random. I thought it was a bit stupid. Yeah. Mate, there must have been much you money sure on that it. Sure, they paid out. Look, look at Richard. Go on Facebook. I saw he had a ticket, but he, I saw he had no. a ticket for it. But did it actually pay out? Yeah. yeah, yeah. So you go, okay. you, you look up his Facebook post, yeah. and you'll see um, it paid out. Now, I imagine it can't be much money on it because it was, he was paying two dollars fifty. I think. Yeah, but I mean, like. Not many must, people must people have been on him. Yeah. Okay, wait, so Richard Swan. So the, there's a, the, they have appealed, and Hayden Wilde suggested that they both get gold medals. Um, I can't see it happening. No, I can't see it happening either. Yeah, you can't back down, unless they've got really, really clear evidence. But from what I could see, there was enough, it's like an on, on-call, fair, uh, what, what do you call it, an on, on-field call. Yeah. You know, if, there's, if there's enough debate, you stick with your on-call field. If it's blatantly wrong, then it might get overturned. But I think there was enough um, debate there that uh, the decision's going to stand. Yeah, and and I was actually really glad you caught up because it would have sucked. Yeah, it would have sucked if it was like ten seconds gap and you won it by one second or something, or nine seconds or something. Here's one for you because you always do this to me. Here we go. If you're Alex Yee and you're running in, and Hayden Hayden Wilde's got ten seconds on you. And just as you catch him up, catch up to go into the finishing shoot, and he's coming out of the box, would you sprint him? But I you would. Yeah. For the win. Yeah. So wait, you, you're basically coming in. So you're and, basically you've because I don't know what the penalty is. Yeah. 
you know, in the race, I don't know. Now, mm. after the fact, you can find out maybe it was a bit of a crap penalty. Mm. But in the race, it's game on. Mm. Ah, shit, no. You, you, <laughs> yeah. you, you push them over and sprint down to the finish line. Yeah. Um, no, but I, that, that was the only thing I was happy with. Yeah. I was actually happy he clawed him because I was mm. like, if it was like a nine-second win or a ten-second win, mm. it'd rip your undies. And what if, could have been cool, I almost wish Hayden had the 10 seconds, got in the sprint position as he's coming to the finish line, Yeah, that would have been cool. <laughs> that, you know, like he literally gets in the, on the ground, gets yeah. in the sprint position, he comes by and they both sprint to the finish line. Because yeah. in some ways, that probably would have been Hayden's advantage. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, it looks like they did pay out. It's weird. Yeah, that was weird. I thought that was an odd one. Okay, uh, let's go to this week's discussion. The PTO Canada, what did you think of the coverage? John saw the one-hour package during it came out of the week. A uh, few minutes he watched, he thought it was really good. So what yeah, did so you guys think I'm, I'm going to have a discussion of the week in a couple of weeks' time, which I'll actually watch them. At the moment, we've got the one-hour coverage from the PTO race. You've got the one-hour coverage from the Sub-7, Sub-8, and there's one-hour coverage from Ironman. Ironman World Champs. And so if you get a chance, try to watch all those three because I want to have a discussion to see if you were the average sports punter, what would you think of the, the different sort of coverages? So my, my yardstick is always my father-in-law. I'm going to see if I can get him to watch all three. Oh, really? commitment. What do you think? He watches TV all, all day long. Okay. okay. He, he has it going. <laughs> You're making a judgment here. No, he he, um, he works and he's got a book binding thing and he's got the, okay. he's got sport on all day, so he's not fully engaged in it. Yep. Um, here where my yardstick is to um, which is more engaging. But of the quick highlights I saw from the one-hour package from the PTO race – it made it look way more exciting than potentially okay, it was. Oh, oh, let's talk about everyone else. But anyway. David Rose got the PTO maternity leave policy was mentioned about every 10 minutes during the female race. Yes, it's a superb thing. But as you said on today's podcast, that it is the PTO show. But we didn't need to have it bigged up by the commentators every few minutes. Great thinking. Great thinking with David Rose. Yep. I totally agree with you. Yep. And Vicky Jones agrees. She says the maternity leave policy is amazing, but didn't need mentioning consistently. Neither did Shipley's obsession with the different prize amounts. Yes, the pay is great, but I doubt that it's the prime motivator. And yeah, yeah and yeah, the athletes kind of say that. Like they said to Christian, no, they said to Gustav Eden, oh, $100,000. He goes, yeah, it's really good. I've won that before. It's not, the money is obviously yeah. why they're there. Yeah. But. It's not a massive drive. It's, it's not the million dollar payday, but a day. Remember, no. you know, those, remember they had the million dollar payday? If you were down a million dollars in second place was a hundred grand, you'd be going for yeah. Brussels spout. I'm going for it. Yeah. Uh, this is an interesting one. Uh, Claudio Blizzard Industria. Um, I'm pretty, uh, you know, I won't assume anything. I didn't like the multi lap bike course in the transition ITU style. It's interesting. Oh. I like the multi lap in the ITU style. Anyway, good old Brian Brian. Brian Ryan. No, Brian Brian. Brian Brian. Yeah, good old double Brian. Uh, mostly really good. Bad, once you start paying attention to how much Belinda Grager cuts others off <laughs> to just steal the punchline of every thought comment, it can get pretty annoying. Yeah, that's I see, I said that last week too, didn't I? Yeah. Matt Orm, uh, good was the big names on the start line. Bad was the amount of interruptions with bloody adverts on Eurosport. So, yeah, we didn't have to deal with any adverts. Um... Yes, Belinda Granger actually spoke on our on our forum. Oh, did she? Yeah, so here we go. Uh Vicky Rowe so David Rowe said bad Vicky and Belinda constantly talking over. Then someone else said, Yep, notice it. Someone else said, Good. I was really pleased to see her and Shepley on the commentary team. David Rowe Peter Colson said, Yep, 
It was annoying. They were, uh, Ian Wood said Belinda talking over Vicky as opposed to vice versa. She simply can't stay quiet. I totally agree about Barbie. Bar, 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 yeah. Yep. Um, then, and then someone has gone to tag Belinda and then Belinda's gone and said, Belinda Granger, definitely appreciate the feedback. We won't be making the same mistake. Yeah. Oh, Belinda Granger's great. Oh, she's but, the loveliest person. And, and she's a talker. Yeah. You know. And, but it's a fact. They were talking over each other. Um, so, yeah. Uh, oh, anyway. yeah, so, so wait a second. So Brian, Brian said Belinda needs to just hit the punchline as soon as she knew where she was inside. Blah blah blah. And then Belinda got definitely was never my intention. Yeah. So yeah. So then um, Brian's got. I appreciate yeah. it's not an easy task commentating a long distance triathlon. Yeah. So Belinda took it on the chin. They, they just need um, some production help. It's not. It's not. It's, it's feedback. It's not um, slamming people. And Belinda's again most loveliest person. Yeah. And, uh, and important to the sport. Yeah. And. When she does, I saw her doing the challenge right. When you're in those positions and you've got to talk continuously for eight hours, yeah. far out, that must be hard. Yep. And that's why you have people like her and Dee Dee Griesbauer and stuff like that who can just go for bloody hours. Yep. Um, anyway, Toby Schnell, uh, he says, a few more stats like Blumenfeld's chase pace on the screen, for example. Otherwise, yeah. I really enjoyed it, despite the less than ideal time frame for Aussies. And Paul Brownlee for having the moment of total implosion on high-definition replay mode for the remainder of the run. That was the fact that they caught that when he completely exploded and he looked like he was about to burst into tears. Yeah. I was like, oh, I felt so sorry for him. Paul McMillan's got could have shown more regular info stats on who was placed where, especially outside of the top five. Yep, definitely, I agree with that. There was no the stats were pretty poor. Mm. Yep, could have could have could have been better. Yep, uh, Gareth. Garth Ridley, uh, there really needs to be a highlights package around 60 minutes. Well, there is now, Garth. I wonder what the time frame is there that you should expect there to be a highlights package of 60 minutes because I think it came out... It was pretty about, quick, wasn't it? You'd it seen was about, about last Wednesday week. or so. Yeah. It was probably th- maybe three days. Um, fortunately, I don't have five hours to invest in watching a full replay. Totally understand that. Dylan Evanson's got from someone who watched it live, bad, nearly impossible to watch and cheer on pros along the bike course. Also, he was obviously there. Good pros took time to sign autographs and take photos. Tons of energy and excitement and cheering going on in the grandstand area. And then David Rose said, uh, David Hudson on TV, it looked like the course support was terrible with only people cheering in the transition area. Same, you couldn't put that onto the bike course for support. And Dallison, uh, Dallin said, yep, it was because they had to close down all the roads, so it was really hard to get anywhere along the bike course. I think they need to have some sort of shuttle service for specific points to take spectators to. Hmm. Uh, last one I'll do is uh, Doug Gordon. Good. Enjoyed the format with multi-laps. Distance was good for the different athletes. Good commentators. Um, Team Norway lived up the hype. Exciting racing. The bad, the drafting in the ladies race. And unless they were in the top 10, had no idea where they were coming. Only found out, found PTO Live Results app for the men's race. I didn't um, really notice drafting too much in the ladies' race. What they need well, to but, do... But someone else said that. Vicky Jones got a really enjoyed it, other than the lack of refs for, or comments on the blatant drafting in the women's race. For some reason, I, I normally pick up on those things, but I didn't really notice it. Uh, however, they just need to um, get the fellas at Race Ranger, James Alvary and that, and I think they're getting pretty close to having their product ready. Um, for And once they've got that, that's... Boom. You can't have any drafting when you've got, when you've got that yeah. uh, because you'll get pinged and... Uh, yeah. I think most of our feedback, I think we kind of did last week. I Vicky think. Jones also just said that she really enjoyed the commentary and loved the interviews with the partners and support crews. Mm. Mm-hmm. Uh, all in all, I thought it was it's better than what we get at Ironman. It's still not quite there. In terms of the stats, some people, some people want, we definitely want more stats in terms yeah. of time gaps and stuff. 
what and what's happening later in the field. Yeah, what we're not going to get, you're not going to get things like power and cadence and all that sort of stuff. I just don't think the technology is there for our sport. You can get a little bit when you do Tour de France, and then it's a team-based thing, and you can, yeah, I just think it, it's really hard when, you know, if we were to rock up, you've got to integrate 10 or 15 different sort of power meters and stuff. I don't think that's there. But the stats in terms of the gaps and how that's all changing, I would have thought that's relatively straightforward. And they have to get that right for Collins Cup. If they don't get that right for Collins Cup, I think it's all over Rover. We need to see a massive improvement in terms of the stats and, and how each of the different events are unfolding. Because there's so much happening, they've had Collins Cup. It was, it was good coverage. It was really interesting. But it needs to be better. This was, I, I thought, kind of a, a little bit of a step up. They need to step up again big time for Collins Cup, I think, to, to keep us engaged. Uh, my, my concern is the formats. My concern, I, you know, it's a really good product. The, it was really professional. I, the commentators, I thought, did a good job. Um, it was, you know, the race was kind of engaging, mm. the men's race in particular. Um, but then it was unfortunate that Blumenfeld had his, his little cramp moment. But, yeah, I'm just not quite sure if the format's there yet. You know? But uh, you can't change the race. Like, You've got to do a long distance race. Yeah. The difference is, as we said earlier, if this race was at that same venue that they had the Commonwealth Games, and somehow, if you can figure out somehow to get 10,000 people on the course. Where are the biggest fans of triathlon? Yeah, in Germany, but you've got to go downtown. Uh, so you've got to have those courses where there's big fields. And if they did it at Challenge Road, um, something like that, and they had a multi lap course there, and watching them go up Solar Berg Hill. If you had the exact same race, so it pa- panned out exactly the same way that this race did, yep. I bet you'd be a shitload more engaging if yep. there's 20,000 people on the side of the road. And that's, you know, it's interesting because the Collins Cup was originally going to be in Rote the first year, hmm. um, and obviously with the way things panned out, it never happened, but. Um, yeah, yeah, interesting. Oh, well, good luck in the next race. Okay, this week's discussion. There are lots of different Ironman races now without pro fields. If you've done a pro, non-pro race and pro events, do you notice much difference in the overall experience? So we're looking for that person who's done both the race where you've turned up where there's no pro and where there is a pro field. Is the experience that much different? And if so, why? Okay, let's go to John's quiz question. Hashtag. I'm not sure if that's hashtag slash uh, history lesson. So what's the question, John? How many Commonwealth Games triathlons have there been? So I know for you guys in North America and Canada and stuff, don't really care. Um, but for ever, all the um, Commonwealth countries, have a think. How many Commonwealth Games triathlons have there been? And you do get bonus points for naming the winners. Okay, well, there you go. Okay, so let's look at. Um, what is he going to pull something up here? Oh, yeah, no, I got it here. Yeah. Okay, we're going to interview. We're going to interview with a man by the name of Rick Olderman. He's an orthopedic physical therapist. He, um, yeah, have a listen. Here he is. Righty, I'm very happy to have on the show a man by the name of Rick Olderman. He is the author of the Fixing You series, which is. Basically, pretty technical books on how to fix yourself if you've got certain pains, certain problems in your body. And I like the thing I like about the books are they're very specific to the needs of the problems. Uh, so he's got the neck and pain and headaches, he's got the back pain and so on. So welcome to the show, Rick. Thanks, Bevan. Thanks for being here. So I suppose give me a little bit of an overview of, of what you're about and what your mission is. Yeah, uh, well, what I'm about, I'm a physical therapist. And I've been a physical therapist for about 25 years. I kind of became a physical therapist after suffering from my own back pain. Uh, I got into PT school to kind of learn, you know, what the insider secrets were. And I quickly found that there weren't any insider secrets. 
I'm looking for so, I'm looking for the heavens and they're not there. <laughs> exactly. I said I can uh, learn it straight from the horse's mouth. And uh, so really in, in medicine and PT school uh, specifically, we're really focused on understanding which structures are painful and identifying those structures. So we have a million tests for these kinds of things, yeah. but we don't have any tests for understanding why those structures are painful. Okay. Nothing. And so this bore out in my first job after PT school where I was good with sprains and strains and surgery kind of stuff. But anyone who came in with chronic issues, back pain, foot pain, neck pain, whatever, I had no clue because we did, we were taught to address tissue problems, not understand why they were happening. And that Mm -hmm. turns out to be the key that's been missing, I feel. So Mm -hmm. that's what I've been looking into these past 25 years and solving. So I suppose let's, you know, it's it's interesting because this kind of, there's two types of audiences we'll talk to kind of be the hardcore athlete and maybe the regular fitness person. And then those who kind of maybe don't have much exercise in their life. So, you know, what are some of the common causes you see for pain? Because I think what we're really addressing here is not just kind of the, you know, you fall over and break your leg or, or roll your ankle stuff. It's more that kind of long-term pain. So what, what what do you think are the main causes that, that people that create this? Yeah. So uh, let's, let's, go specifically into one type of pain. Probably yeah. most of your listeners have back pain. Okay. All right. So that's an easy one. So let's go ahead. And if you don't mind, I'll, I'll demonstrate yeah. by sh- taking them through a little test. Okay. Okay. So all of you listening at home, go ahead and lie down on the floor with your legs straight. And you can lie down on a couch. If, if it's hard to get down on the floor, you can lie down on your bed. It doesn't really matter, but lie down on your floor. And I'd really like you to do this because if you just listen to my words and you're going to say, oh yeah, that kind of makes sense. But if you feel it in your body, then you know it's true. And this is what I want you to feel. So you're lying down on a floor, preferably a firm surface. Your legs are straight. And I want you to feel how your low back feels in this situation. And uh, now you're going to bend your knees. And you're going to put your feet flat on the floor. Or if you prefer, you can hug your knees to your chest, whatever feels best to you. And you're going to compare how your back feels to your with your knees bent versus when your legs were straight. And if you need to check that again, Straighten your legs, see if it still is achy there, and bend your knees, see if it still feels better. So uh, most people doing this test, almost all of them, will find that their back feels better when their knees are bent. So real simple. What are we figuring out here? All we're understanding is that your back feels better when there's less arch in it or less force is trying to pull it into an arch. So you'll notice that when your feet are straight, your back is arching more. When your knees are bent, your back is flatter into the ground. Simple as that. No complicated stuff going on here. So what we're doing when we're bending your knees is we are removing all of the forces that are trying to pull your back into that arch. That's why your back feels better. So how does this play out in real life? Well, if you all stand up now and listen to this podcast, what what you'll notice is that you tend to lock your knees straight. It's a habit that most people have developed. So notice this, whether this is happening for you. Now, feel what your back feels like standing here listening to this podcast. Now I'm going to ask you just to soften your knees just a tad and feel what just happened to your low back uh, discomfort or pain there. And now if you're not sure, go ahead and lock your knees again. And when you lock your knees, you're going to notice that when you're locking your knees, your back is more arched. And when you soften your knees, your back is less arched. Simple as that. What, why does this matter? Well, on the floor, you just found out that when your back is more arched, you have more back pain. 
And now you just found out that one of your habits that you have when standing is to lock your knees. Mm. And so one of the habits that you have unconsciously is contributing to your back pain. And softening the knees is an easy way to change that habit. You've got to change these habits that are beating up your body and hammering places on your body that you're unaware of. So all of these habits are unconscious. They're normal habits. Your brain is its job is to get from A to B as efficiently as possible. You've trained it to do that. It's going to do it the way that you've taught it to do it. You've taught it to do, do it, but your brain doesn't understand that how it's organizing these things for you is actually contributing to your body pain. So what my programs do and what I do in my books and do in my clinic is teach people these connections, not only fixing the tighter, weak muscles that result from this, but changing the habits that are driving the pain and the tighter, weak muscles. Mm, Okay. So it's creating a foundation of understanding of where you're subconsciously almost working against your body and giving you the tools and understanding of what you need to do to prevent the, the long-term, the, the causes that could come from that in the long-term. Correct. Okay. And yeah. um, and for most people, is it, is it like, is it a pretty easy fix or like, you know, I, I obviously we're doing, you know, we're doing a broad area here, but you know, like, is it, is it really as simple as learning to bend your knees? Like, or like, is it much more, you know, like, give me more detail. It, it can be so simple. I'll, I'll just give you one real fast example. I had a collegiate division one swimmer, uh, she had 15 years of back pain. She was top of the food chain in the best school in the nation, okay. had to leave the program from back pain. No one could help her on all, all of the medical staff. 15 years later, she walks into my clinic with plantar fasciitis. Okay. And she, for she was, as well. Yes. Yeah. And so she didn't even, uh, she completely gave up on her back pain. Okay. So she's walking in my, in my, in my clinic and she's like closing her eyes and breathing really hard, try, just trying to get to my table. I said, wow, that plantar fasciitis must really be bothering you. She says, oh, that's, that's not what's killing me. It's my back, but you can't help me with that. I'm here mm-hmm. for my plantar fasciitis. Okay. Well, nothing gets my hackles up more than someone who tells me I can't help it, right? <laughs> so, so I said, well, tell me a little bit more about it. So anyway, uh, I, she was in so much pain, I couldn't even evaluate her. However, what I noticed, I, all I needed to, to see was what I saw from her walking to my table. She was locking her knees when she was walking. I just simply put a couple pieces of tape on the backs of her knees to get her to stop doing that one habit. Just that, that's the only thing we did. Three days later, she came back 75% better. Not only back pain, but also plantar fasciitis. So when you so things can be very simple. It's not always that simple, yeah. but it, it, it can be much simpler. So when people like her, she had chronic back pain for 15 years, 75% gone in three days, it can be that simple if you strike on the right thing. Yeah. Now, we're not going to always strike on the right thing right off the bat. Yeah. But if you've had pain for 20 years, it doesn't mean you, it's going to take 20 years to fix it. Mm-hmm. That's the beauty of fixing systems in the body rather than treating tissues. And so uh, I approach things from solving system problems that I see, which at, from her example, you can see if you fix one thing, it has massive so, ripple effects through yeah. the rest of the body. And as it did with hers. And so, you know, because obviously you would be recommending people to go see professionals at certain levels. So, you know, like with your books, is it very much just kind of helping people figure out the framework, you know, some things to explore. And then if it does get to that next level or they don't feel they're making progress, they work with professionals or like, you know, where do you sit with that? 
Yeah. So uh, most of the people who buy my books or who purchase my downloadable home programs have mm-hmm. already been to a lot of professionals yeah, like this person. Yeah. So they've already gone down those roads. So my books and programs, home programs, target people with chronic pain. Okay. And the reason they're having chronic pain, whether regardless of whether they're working with a professional or not, uh, the reason they're having chronic pain is because none of the professionals are trained to understand this, the body as a system. Yeah. We're trained in this component thinking, like in my PT school. Yeah. And so it's like looking at a pixel and trying to understand the whole picture from a pixel. Yeah. You, you, you just can't. You have, and so there's nothing in our training that's putting things back together again into the system. Mm. They're just leaving all of that up to us. Well, you guys just put this little piece into your and, you know, try and use it in treatment. Some, no, we have to be taught how it fits into our system. And so uh, people can work with a professional, of course. Uh, but my theory and the way I practice is that you should be able to fix your pain. And I, I give you the tools to do that. So I suppose, so when we think about the base camp, oh, base camp, the baseline, what, what's the first signs of awareness people need to have? Because obviously, let's say you've got back pain, um, and a lot of people live with back pain, let's be honest, uh, yeah. and and it's kind of a presence in their life, isn't it? It's just kind of this mm-hmm. presence that sits in their life for a long period of time. Um, obviously, you want to hit it early. So mm-hmm. what, what are the signs that you need to be working, you know, moving towards you know, something like what you offer in, in, in regards to actually even taking action? Because, you know, I think a lot of people kind of go, well, this is just my life from here on forward, you know, or it's not that bad yet, which is a big problem that people have with injuries is that they kind of, you know, uh, you know, I'm feeling a little bit tight. I'll just keep on pushing through. So what are some of the things that people do that work against them? And what are the, what's the mindset they need to have around this? Well, just, just what you just said is, is really it, you know, so we, we, so, we unfortunately wait until there's a huge catastrophe before we decide that it's time to take action. Yeah. So I'm not going to try and convince people who are used to saying, Oh, I'll just work through it. It'll be gone in a week or two. And you know, or I'll just do this one little treatment and it'll be gone for a week or two and I'll be good to go. Well, that works for a little while, but uh, if you're not solving the reasons why this is all happening, that's going to become more and more frequent. It's going to get harder and harder to solve, and it's going to last longer and longer. Mm. So there's nothing I can say in this podcast that will convince people to take action. Their own pain will force them to take action. And so if you are having chronic pain, most people become very skeptical because they've been to a ton of different practitioners and no one's been able to solve their pain. And so they think, I'm just going to have to live with this. Mm. But I'm, I'm telling your listeners right now, it's because they don't understand or they haven't treated you from a systems standpoint. That is what is causing the chronic pain. They're not linking those unconscious habits you have during the day with your pain. And this is what you've been missing. How do people work against themselves with this? You know, like when they do have pain, how do you find people generally work against themselves? With uh, who have pain, did yeah, you say, or yeah, hip pain? Yeah, no, just yeah, hip so, pain. Yeah, so, well, the first thing is to ignore it, Yeah. right? But the other thing is, is that, un- unfortunately, for instance, I just had an email from a, a, a woman just a, a couple of days ago. She said, oh, I've got this terrible pain on, on my back. You know, it's on my right side. I, I just can't get rid of it, blah, blah, blah. And I said, uh, well, likely you have a side bending problem, and uh, it's usually due to some problem in that leg. She says, 
I have no history of problems in my leg at all. There's no reason I should have this side bending problem. And I can explain to you what that is. And so we went back and forth like this for a couple of times. I said, I'm sorry, you have a side bending problem and it's due to some problem in your leg. That's all there is to it. And finally, she got back to me. She said, oh, my God, I can't believe I forgot this. I've been dealing with a hamstring tear on that side for the last 10 years. I said, yeah. whatever is causing that chronic hamstring issue is now also causing your back pain. She's like, I've never linked those two things together before. And that was a beautiful example of how out of left field this thinking is for people. It's hard for people to connect their own old histories with their current pain. Because mm. we're taught that our ankle pain is about our ankle, maybe our knee, but certainly mm. not my back, mm. you know. And same with a knee issue or hip issue or whatever. I can't tell you how many people's back pain are due to hip issues. Mm. or walking patterns, mm. things like that. So it's not that so much that people are working against themselves. It's that the information they've received about their issues is not including these old issues. Not many therapists want to delve back into old problems that you've had, yeah. right? Yeah. Oh, let's just, let's just fix this one. You know, we'll save that one for later, but I'm sorry, no. Anything that you've had in your lower body system is a potential culprit for your current back pain now or static pain or whatever it is. Do you see um, the, the difference between general population and athletes and, and maybe even particularly like in stream endurance athletes, you know, like do you see, uh, you know, because obviously the demand on the body is completely different. Um, and, and, with, and, you know, let's say high level endurance athletes, they're very fit people. They have very good frames, mm -hmm. uh, but they often have muscle imbalances and all the rest of it. So do you sure. see, do you see, is it a similar pathway? Is it similar problems or is it, are there actually differences in what, what you have to address for these different types of populations? It's identical pathways and identical problems. The oh, really? problem is the endurance athlete has higher volume mm. uh, applied to their pathways. So if you have, uh, and, and also an endurance athlete will sometimes have to get a little bit more precise with our fix with an endurance athlete because a small change when you're a cyclist and you have 300,000 revolutions that you're doing in a day, well, if there's a, I, I won't go into, I won't geek out on any terms <laughs> or anything like that. But if, if you have a small anomaly and, and how that is going based on how your body is built, then that is magnified by those 300,000 revolutions that you're performing yeah. on your bike or steps that you're taking on your marathon training or whatever. So it is the same ex identical pathways. It's just, the consequences, the volume makes a, a huge difference. Thankfully, though, with endurance athletes, they respond very quickly to small nudges in the right direction because their bodies are already so strong, usually fairly flexible. They've got great nutrition. And a lot of them are already geared to thinking mechanically. Yep. And that's they, they instantly grasp this kind of information because it's like, got it. Oh, it's this that's causing it. Yes. And this is what you do about it. Got it. I'm going to do that. And boom pain goes away mm. one thing you know like uh, you know i coach running and and yeah. one thing i find uh with injury management is people are really good until the moment it starts to feel good and then they slacken off on doing the work do you know what i mean so you know they yeah. might do you know get some advice and it actually helps and then they get to that moment where it feels good and they either lessen the amount of work it takes to get it right or they stop doing the work is that something you find and if so what would be your advice around that yeah, so I, I don't find that too often personally. Okay. 
the reason I don't find that too often personally is because I spend time with my patients teaching them the link between their mechanics, this tighter, weak muscle, and their pain. And so instead of just giving them a stretch to do that, this takes away your pain temporarily. I also teach them, look, your running pattern of doing this is why this tighter, weak muscle is happening. Mm -hmm. And so the more that they fix those mechanical habits, the less that tighter, weak muscle, they have to take time out to do that stretch or whatever, or maybe they have to do a whole routine to stay, you know, good and Mm -hmm. and pain-free. Well, that whole routine is necessary because they haven't solved the mechanical causes of the things that you're trying to fix with that whole routine. Mm -hmm. So I find huge buy-in. I I get this question from a lot of therapists. They're just like, well, how do you get people to to do what you're asking them to do? Well, I always do test retest immediately that first day in the clinic. We show them that it reduces their pain and I don't bother them with anything that's not reducing pain by at least 30 to 50%. Mm -hmm. So we're going to do very, be very specific. We're going to solve the problem. And then now that you see that this is a big cause of your pain, you're going to do it. And the motivation is through the roof because no one wants to be in pain, especially in an endurance athlete. You know, mm-hmm. they want to be competing. So mm-hmm. I don't really run into that problem personally that much, yeah. but I know a lot of therapists do. And reason. even with the general population, they're still pretty motivated as well. Oh, yeah. yeah. No one wants to be in pain. Yeah. The, the, I, I believe that the motivation happens because... To, at least in physical therapy, what, what we traditionally do is throw a thousand exercises at people and say, do these exercises. And then, yes, if I do those thousand exercises, my pain will go down. But do I have to do a thousand exercises for the rest of my life? That's ridiculous. You mm-hmm. shouldn't have to. So I think there's some non-specificity going on with our exercise prescription, which frustrates the, the consumer. We don't, no one wants to spend an hour a day trying to fix their pain all the time, every day for the rest of the life. That's ridiculous. So why not fix the reasons all of those things are happening so that it becomes an unconscious movement habit. And then you don't have the t- tighter, weak muscles forming because you fix the reason it's happening. Are there ever times where you can't fix it? Rarely. Okay. The only times I can't, I can't fix something is usually if there is a structural issue going on that I can't overcome. Okay. And even some structural issues I can overcome, like you know, mild to moderate stenosis, spondylolisthesis, disc bulges, disc herniations, things like that. But sometimes those things have gone, gotten to the point, they've gotten yeah. to a degree where you, you just can't overcome, no matter how much you fix the system, that structural issue is there. Now we're down to that structural issue. Yeah. The nice thing about that though is that the outcomes from surgeries and procedures are so much more successful yeah. because you fix the system that, in my belief, caused those structural issues in the first place. So now that you fix the system that will be using that body that's been surgically repaired, the outcomes become greater and more successful. Mm. Um, any, any, other, any other kind of problems you see with people who do come into injuries? Um, you know, any, anything else you want to kind of touch on? Well, you know, I, I think in terms of injuries, uh, pain is a, is a symptom and it's telling you that something is wrong with your body now. Yeah. So it, more and more, if you read the papers and, and uh, all these articles about chronic pain, more and more uh, writers are defining chronic pain as a disease. That really disturbs me because mm-hmm. chronic pain, I don't believe, is a disease. 
it's our lack of understanding of what's happening. And because we can't solve it, and many people can't solve it, they then assume that there is a systemic issue going on here. It must be a disease of some sort. Okay. Uh, that is not the truth. The, the, that is not the reality of things. It's just that we don't know how to solve it. Mm. But I, I, the key is understanding why it's there in the first place. And now that's an overused term because every practitioner thinks that they're solving the root cause. No practitioner will ever say, eh, I'm not going to solve the root cause. I'm just going to do this little treatment. Yeah. Everyone thinks they're causing the root, root cause or solving the root cause, but I don't believe it's truly happening. And that's why people are having chronic pain. What about the use of drugs? Because I imagine a lot of people are using drugs to disguise pain. Um, you know, and, and in some ways, if the drugs are working, it, it, it allows them to avoid doing, you know, confronting it. Um, you know, is that something you see a lot? I wouldn't say a lot. Um, my, you know, I always talk about that with my patients. Look, do you want to continue taking these drugs? Most of them don't want to. So I said, okay, our first goal will be then to reduce your drugs by half. Yeah. And then we're going to reduce it by hundred percent. So, but we're not going to do that if we haven't solved the reason that they're having pain. Yeah. So there's a trust issue that has to be developed with the patient to say, you know, Hey, I trust that you know what you're talking about. And usually even if people are taking drugs, they know whether they have pain or not. Yeah. So once we remove that, then they feel more confident to stop taking their drugs. Okay. Uh, so first we have to do our job first as a therapist to fix the pain mm. rather than getting them to, to stop their drugs first. Yeah. 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 It's just, you know, like as I know a lot of athletes will on a race day use drugs and stuff like, you know, if they're really injured and stuff like that and, yes. you, know, you know, not, not performance enhancing, but just, you know, to, right. you know, to, to get through a race. Get through. Know. Yeah, yeah, you know, and, exactly. and I'm sure it's actually quite, I'll be honest, I don't know if there's much study done around that, but I'd be fascinated to know, what the case, how many people are actually using some kind of anti flame or something like that in, in a race environment to get them through an injury that they're working through? It'd be fascinating to know. I would think it would be very high. Yeah, yeah, yeah I wouldn't, I wouldn't <laughs> you know, be surprised. Yeah. There's a lot of unsolved injuries out there. People were struggling. Mm. This is what this is what really struck me when I, I had my first PT job. I was out in this remote town in southwestern Colorado and I was failing. I was just failing. I was embarrassed to be a PT. I was embarrassed to go out in public. There was only one supermarket in town and I would almost disguise myself going in because I, you know, there was all these patients that I wasn't helping. I'm just like, God, I'm just terrible. And then I moved to Denver where there's this huge, yeah. you know, network of, you know, elite professionals. And I worked at this athletic club for a while and I, you know, started working with people and instantly my schedule was full. Of all of these people, athletes, non-athletes alike, who had this chronic pain. And it showed me in all of my, whenever I speak at conferences, anytime I speak on back pain or neck pain or hip pain, I have standing room only. Really? So really? It, it showed me, it's not because I'm a great speaker. Mm. It's because there's, there's a need. legions of people with chronic issues out here that we have not been doing a good job of in medicine. Mm -hmm. And I think I have a, a new answer for it. So that helped massage my ego a little bit to tell me, hey, okay, you're bad, but maybe you're not as bad as you thought you were. <laughs> um, what, what kind of timeframes do you usually see for people to go from like where they are to seeing progress to seeing maybe getting over it? Yeah, it, it takes, it depends on the type of injury yeah, of that's course. going on, but yeah. let's go back to back pain. So uh, in my, or chronic neck pain or anything like that. 
So uh, I expect at least 30 to 50% reduction in pain after my first visit with someone. Oh, wow. Okay. And I, the reason I expect that is because during my evaluation, I've already done my test retest to know exactly what, the, what is causing their pain. Okay. And I've given them the things to solve that. So I should see whatever they've achieved in that session, they should be able to maintain. Usually that's the case. If it's like 10 or 20%, if they say, ah, I'm 10 or 20% better, then I think they're just trying to save my feelings. Okay. And not make me feel bad, okay. right? Yeah. I don't yeah. believe my, and I tell them that straight off. I said, "Look, you're not We're here not to make end. me feel better. Yeah. Yeah. No, I'm here to get you better. So be honest with me." And then there's like, "Okay, yeah, it's maybe five or ten percent." <laughs> so that tells me that then we're on the wrong track. So I can quickly shift gears because in my examination, because I'm, for instance, back pain, looking at everything from the rib cage down to the foot, I've already identified perhaps seven or ten different things that are causing this issue. The first one or two things I've addressed isn't doing it, then we go to the next set of things. And so I can easily and quickly work down the list. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like, you know, you, 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 is that, like you're talking about how you, know, you found this kind of different way of approaching things and maybe as an industry that needs to move forward. How are you finding, do you find resistance from the industry and how are you trying to influence the industry? And, and so there is this different way of approaching things. Yeah, so, so uh, this is a really good question. And uh, yes, there is resistance. Yeah. So uh, one of the people I've learned from in terms of connecting movement and pain is Dr. Shirley Sarman. She has a series of seminars and courses that I took at, at her university at Washington U, U in uh, St. Louis. I made friends with a PT. And uh, at the last course I took, I ran into him again. I said, hey, how's the information going for you? He says, eh, you know, I said, what are you talking about? I mean, I'm getting people better faster than ever. And he's just like, yeah, but I'm a manual therapist. So this doesn't really go for me. Maybe I'll use it for some home exercise programs or something like that. And that's when it clicked to me that we are all as practitioners looking at things through a belief system. And so he is automatically filtering out the possibility of biomechanics as a cause of pain because he prefers to do manual therapy on someone. And so that's when I realized that I had to, that's when I wrote my books is because I needed to do an end around the practitioners and all of their belief systems about what should or shouldn't work because their patients were missing this this information. And so the resistance isn't this uh, conspiracy theory kind of resistance. It's a resistance based on belief systems and how we're trained in physical therapy. And so this happens in law. It happens in any any career. Mm -hmm. We all develop a belief system of how things should be. But if you're not open to seeing through that belief system to other possibilities, then, you know, that's, that's where the resistance is that I'm coming from is this desire not to look through their belief systems Mm -hmm. and embrace something new that may require a bit more work on their part. And are you having influence? Are you kind of, are you finding, you know, obviously your philosophy and your message, are you finding that you are starting to get reach in ways where it's not just about you, we have a therapist and that are actually shifting as well. Yeah. So uh, with patients, with the general public, I have influence. And with my clinic, yes. And so with my clinic, my orthopedic clinic I had here in Denver, I trained all of my new therapists in this approach. And so then they got it. And so, yes, I was very successful there. But And I've just created an online training program to teach other therapists this approach too. But my belief isn't that it should just be physical therapists. We're not the only one who deals with mm. people with movement and pain. You as a coach do, yeah, yeah. you know, 
personal trainers, Pilates yeah. instructors, yoga. So my information is geared towards not having all of this scientific medical knowledge and spewing out all this complicated stuff. Look, you guys are often the first people who see people with pain. Yeah. And so my program is also geared towards people like you to understand because you guys can nip it in the bud yeah. before it becomes chronic and then put me out of work, which <laughs> I would be more than happy to be put yeah. out of work for. So that's, uh, that's kind of my mission is to not only reach physical therapists, but anyone in that whole yeah. spectrum, coaches, any touch point, yeah, any touch point, anyone who's dealing with someone with pain and movement, this information is transformative. Okay. So, so where do people find you? What, what, what do you know, what, what do you do? We, you know, give me the plug. Sure. Sure. Um, well, if people are interested in my downloadable home programs to solve their pain, they can go to www.fixingyoumethod.com. And that's, those are video programs that include a lot of things, changing habits, tighter, weak muscles, taping techniques, all sorts of things. If you're a practitioner who wants to learn this approach to solving pain, uh, you can go to healpatientsfaster.com. And then if you, I have some free stuff on my, my central website, which is rickolderman.com. There's a ebook, my blog, my podcast and things like that. But if you type in fixing you all one word on the products that you, you might buy from me, you can get a 20% discount. So that'll help. Uh, Anything else just before we wrap up? No, I just, uh, you know, do you have any questions is, would be my question about any specific client that you have that you're struggling with? No, not really at this moment. Um, no, I did have a back operation myself last year. I did have severe bulging discs, but, um, I've been, Mm -hmm. I'm very lucky, um, because I'm mid forties, I've pushed my body extremely hard for years. Yeah. I think structurally I'm, I'm very good. Like I, my body, you know, I, I seem to be able to you know, I never really seem to get major injuries. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. and, and, but yeah, no, but that was more just a freak kind of accident than anything. Yeah. Oh, got yeah. it. Well, I'm glad that was successful for you. Yeah. 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 Same. And it makes you back to hundred percent, which is really lovely. Cause I thought there might be, I kind of thought there might be a compromise afterwards. You know, I thought, you know, mm-hmm. I won't even get to that. And even the surgeon right. said you won't quite get to a hundred, but actually I kind of feel I am. So surgery yeah. can be the right choice. Yeah. And, and it was like, I was like, I was debilitated, yeah. you know? Yeah. I'm not yeah. anti-surgery at all. Yeah. I'm, I'm anti-surgery. If you haven't tried solving the system problem. Yeah. yeah. And if surgery fails, it's usually because you haven't solved the system. Yeah, yeah. So no, but yeah, no, 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 that, that's great. Well, thank you for coming on the show. And um, yeah. I'll put a link to those websites in the show notes. Uh, you want to check out Rick's work, you can go there and do that and uh, keep up the good work, mate. Nice to meet you, you too. So if you want to check out his stuff, I'll put a link to his website on our show notes, in our show notes. Okay, John, the quiz, the history lesson slash quiz question. Okay, let's think about this. Commonwealth Games, when were we first, I'm going to say. That, I haven't done, I haven't looked at this yet. Okay, I'm going to say the first one would have been 2002. So two. Six, ten, fourteen, eighteen. I'm gonna say six. I mean, oh no! <laughs> oh, you almost fell into it. No, thought he was gonna fall in, but he didn't. Because there was one where, where they did it as an exhibition, didn't they? In 1990. No. Oh no, I wasn't gonna count that. Well, it's Commonwealth Games. True. Okay. So how many is it? I'm gonna say it's eight. No, oh. you're you're on the right path. You fell. In, I thought you were gonna fall into the trap. I think I'm right anyway. Here, I'll go seven. I'll say seven. So we're 2022. So Bevan said 202 was the first one. 202, 204, 206, 
to 10, to 14, to 18 in 2020. We're, we're including this one. Yeah, so of course. That's, that's six. Yep. Uh, and Bevan said there was... 1990, there was one in Seven. Yep. However, you failed to omit one when it was in Delhi in oh, India they didn't have, one didn't have the Commonwealth Games. So that drops us back down to six. Oh, they didn't have triathlon, you mean? Didn't have triathlon because you can choose what... Triathlon's not... I don't think it's guaranteed every single time. Well, obviously not. But most okay. of the time it is. Here's the link. Come so games I'm pretty sure it's going to be six. And for, I'll, I'll try to name the but the winners. So this year we had Alex Yee and, and Flora Duffy. In 2018, we had... Okay, here we go. Okay, okay wait a second. So, yep. 2018, yep. I'm a sh- uh, 2018 was Henry Schumann on the guys. Yep. And I think it was probably Flora, Flora Duffy. Yep, yeah, it was Flora right. Duffy. And then we go to 2014. That would have been in Glasgow, I think. I don't know where it was. but 2014 at Glasgow, I think. I'm going to say Brownlee. Which Brownlee? Alistair. Yep. And then maybe Vicky Holland? No, she got third. Ah, non-Stanford? No. Uh, I don't know. That Another pom. An English uh, athlete. I can't think of it. It wasn't Helen Jenkins because she's well. I think she may be one of your picks for. No. Maybe on the show. Uh, Learmonth. No. Oh, 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 yeah. Jodie Simpson. Yeah, yeah, sure. Oh, you're right. Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. Didn't yep. do very well there. Um, so that's tw- it's 20. Yeah, so 10 didn't happen. You were right. Yeah. Then 2006. 2006. 2006. That was, um, I think that would have been on in Australia. Uh, I don't know. And oh, it was, was it Melbourne, was it? Melbourne, yeah, you're right there. Because I went to them at those games. And I would say there, I think I'm going to go with Emma Snowsill. Yep. And then I think... We got second and third. Warren and Hewitt got second and third. Oh, yeah. And Andrea Hewitt out-sprinted uh, Debbie Tanner for that third place. And on the guy's side... Yeah, we've it, talked about this race a lot Yeah, it's years. either Peter Robertson or Brad Carterfell. I'm going to go Brad Carterfell. Yes, you got it right. Doherty got second, but Peter yeah. Robertson keeps surging. Yeah. And, and then the first one... The first one was in Manchester, and I watched that one, and I was thinking about this last night, and I can't quite remember the results. I think it was Simon Lessing. No, he wasn't. No, no, no oh. Lessing, 2002. Yeah. He was out of short course by then, wasn't he? Uh, I don't know. I remember Hamish Carter raced. He got he did, third. He, he, yeah, Miles Stewart got second. Simon Whitfield, was it? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I was thinking possibly that. And then on the female side, I'm really not quite sure. I'm going to go to Loretta Harrop. No, but Canadian. Carol Montgomery. Yeah. Yeah. She's good at that stuff. Yeah. So the Commonwealth Games for non-Commonwealth countries are called the Friendly Games, formerly the Empire now, Games. Wait, going back right to the start, who won the first one? Aaron Baker and Rick Wells. Yeah. Was it yeah. competitive? Don't know. Can you remember it? No, no, not at all. Because it was a, not so it was an exhibition sport, was it? Yeah, it was huge. I had it in, up in Auckland, the Commonwealth Games, and I mean they were. This two, is th- the moment. Yeah, we are together. <laughs> uh, they were both world champion athletes, so they would have had to beat all the Aussies. So it yeah. and the Canadians, it would have been and, and the Brits. It would they have don't been mention it in here. It's not on Wikipedia. Yeah. So wait a second. I'm going to go 1990 Commonwealth Games. Um, While he does that, uh, so the Commonwealth Games first held in 1930. Uh, it's basically all the countries that. Great Britain went and pillaged New Zealand, Australia, Canada, <laughs> India. Colonized. Quite, quite a bit of Africa, or bits of Africa, bits of Asia, and the Caribbean. It's held every four years between the Olympics. And it is a big deal for our countries, especially New Zealand, because it reflects the funding the athletes get quite significantly, because a lot of our athletes are not going to be good enough to perform at the Olympics. 
but at the Commonwealth Games still gets good exposure so a lot of their funding is pegged to it so it is a big deal especially for Kiwis um, it does include selected para divisions um, it's not separate to the, like the Olympic Games there's 25 sports or around about 25 sports around four and a half athletes so it basically is a mini Olympics and at the Commonwealth Games Great Britain do race separately as England, Scotland and Wales which massively reduces how strong they are uh, so much so that I thought this morning we might have even been in front of England in the medals table because we were only one goal behind We were in the second them. day weren't we? Yeah uh, but they must have had a good day yesterday uh, so they race as separate nations. Uh, I'm from the results from that first one. Well it matters who, who, who won. Well you know, just want to say, you know yeah. it might have been names from the past. Could have been. Anything else you want to add about that? No, I was actually wasn't listening because I was Com- too busy. Commonwealth Games is, is good fun. It's just at the moment it kind of sucks for us because the time zone is rubbish. Uh, so, are you watching yeah. much of it? I haven't watched much of it to be honest. Uh, I've watched a lot of the track cycling. Track cycling is awesome. There's so much happening. I don't get why it's not more of a popular sport because yeah. it's great TV. Yeah, you know, like it's really cool. It's dynamic. It's short. Mate, those guys going 75k an hour mm. doing the one lappers. Mm. OMG. Yeah, no, it's great. So I watched a lot of a lot of that, and yeah, watched little bits and pieces of other stuff. I would be like liking to be watching a lot more. The highlights package in New Zealand seems to be really shit that I'm really quite frustrated about. Um, so I want to get on there and you know watch it. For me, the ideal would be a t- about a two-hour highlights package, not just of the Kiwis, of all the other sports, but that doesn't appear to be happening. They've got a crappy one-hour highlights package, and they tell you all the results at the start of the show. It's like, oh, absolute, complete spoiler. Don't spoil the, don't spoil the ending. Yeah. What, has anyone ever spoiled a movie for you? Not that I can recall. Okay. Yeah. Let's go to Winger of the Week. And we've got Anna McRae. She's from Auckland, New Zealand. Number 42. Now, one of the challenges we're going to have for Winger of the Week, and now, if you want to join on to Winger of the Week, go on to Strava, find the IM Talk Club, and join up to there. If you get in the top 100, you get a chance to get your name read out. Uh, this week, I think it took my third go. I use random.org. And randomly pick a number oh, between you, one you and You want to go swim bike run, don't you? And you want to be all triathlon. No, first you've got to do a swim bike run. Secondly, so many people have private accounts and how it's really... Oh, okay. I think it was the third crack I had uh, to get Anna. Maybe you move away from the triathlon thing. Well, that's okay, but just lots of people have uh, private accounts now. It's a bit so, so scared of the internet team. Anna McRae did 16 hours and 18 minutes of training from 11 activities. She Anna's f- a good runner. She's done a sub-three-hour marathon. Nice. Three hours, 17 of swimming. She did two hours, 47, uh, seven hours, 47 on the bike and five hours and 12 minutes. She was one place behind Julia Spark, who I was riding with on the weekend on Zwift. <laughs> uh, and she is training up for... Hawaii, because oh, she's wow. got in her little uh, profile here, Road to Kona, Swim Bike Run Emojis, October 2022. Tell you one thing about Anna, she's always got a good smile. And she's nice and consistent. You look at her her training graph, and she's been sort of hovering around that uh, sort of 20-hour mark for quite a while now in terms of building up for Kona. There was a little dip there in late February, and I suspect that's probably when they cancelled Ironman New Zealand and you had a bit oh. of a down a week going, oh. Yep. But since then, um, as I said, she's been consistently doing sort of 18 to 20 hours a week and even a little bit more on occasions and getting ready to crank it in Kona. So all the best for Kona, Anna McRae. Uh, she is going to smoke it. Yeah, mate. Well, Lives up around... Uh, the sub three-hour run female, that's a great effort. Sub um, three-hour run for anyone's a great effort, but... For, but that, that's not... That's a estimated... Well, no, it's got a PB time as well. Oh, okay. It's got PBs as well. Yeah, one, yeah. 257. Some of it? those times are... What does, it, what does it give me these days? Yeah, it says my marathon time's 4.05. 
Well, you need to sharpen up. <laughs> I do need to, to sharpen up. Get out of this. What do you reckon you do one today? Uh, I'm going to do the Christchurch Marathon next year um, as part of build up to Challenge Rote. And I'm not, I'm not going to prepare for it, but I'm going to try to go 248, which is four minute case, will be my plan. It'll be a good training day. Think about doing Queenstown, but it's going to break my heart because I don't know if I can do the sub three. <laughs> oh, it's going to hurt my ego. <laughs> oh, aging. Okay, uh, let's go into John Swimset. What do we do today? Today it's a good set, although I felt rubbish and swimming like a piece of crap. Uh, we did a 400 warm up and then two 100 IMs and 450 kick. Uh, I've got to say, one of the guys who swim with Tom Somerville just annihilates me on the kick. Like oh, really? It's probably half a length into me and over 50 metres. So do you have bad kicks or is he like, he's like a machine? A combination of the two. Okay. Uh, so we did 450s kick and then the main set was 400 steady. Five 100s moderately hard and 625 sprints and we did that twice through and then we finish with a 1,000 continuous ascending so that's starting fast and each 200 you just sort of go down a gear so the last 200 is uh, is warm down, 4k and it's always funny when you get somebody, we only had three guys in our lane and it's me, Tom and this other guy, John and we're all about the same level so we're sort of humming along quite a, quite a good pace, it's a small pool, it's only five lanes, 25 metre yep. and occasionally you get somebody gets in your lane. Who okay. doesn't understand what's happening? Yeah, you always go, how long is this person going to last and today somebody got in. Yeah, they asked it a couple of minutes and then realised what's going on and then they eject themselves into one of the other lanes that are massively overcrowded and we've only got three in our lane. Uh, so that's always a little bit of fun entertainment for me. Do you ever uh, get someone who just stays? Occasionally, yeah. yeah. Does that annoy the crap out of you? Uh, it's public space. I, it, yeah. No, not, not really. If they stand in the way when you're turning, that's what annoys you. Like, yeah. you've, if, you, if you're in a public lane, uh, you've got to keep the T clear. So that's where you come in and where the T is the middle part of the lane. Keep that clear so they can um, turn. And you also want to stand on the side of by the lane rope. Um, if you're swimming in a clockwise direction, you'd want to stand on the right-hand side. So then you're leaving enough space for two people to turn if they're, if they're going in a line. So that's, that's, your, that's your tip for the day. Keep the tea clear. When was the last time you were in a lane when you were out of your depth? Oh, not very often. You're a legend. <laughs> yeah, sometimes I go, go for a swim and there's somebody who's way, clearly way, way faster. And you just you just modify things a bit. You just, you know, say I'm doing a set and, and you're supposed to be doing them on, say, the 1 minute 45 or whatever. Yeah. You sort of time it. You might do one on the 140 and one on the 150 or 135. Can I give you a challenge? I was thinking about this the other day because, you know, when we look at most other programs, you tend to do the same sessions for a few weeks. And we've talked about this on the show here. It's funny how swimming you don't do that. You know, you don't, you know, like normally in a program, mm. you kind of do the same sessions yeah. for, a, for a block. Yeah. Then you'll have a bit of a break and then you kind of shift it up a little bit. Can mm. you do a month of doing the same sessions? Uh, yeah, I just, I've got, I've got to keep that balanced right between keeping the interest level okay for, for the people that I swim with. But, but like, like, it's not going to be the same session every session. So if you do, how many swims do you do a week? Two. Okay, so you might do... But most people are probably going to do three. Okay, so let's say for next month, you do three sessions a week. I'm, I'm mm. up in your train. Yeah. Um, and different focuses. So mm. one might be endurance, one might be speed, whatever. But you do the same session... Because I was only doing it four times. Yeah, that wouldn't, it wouldn't be a problem for me. But, 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 give it a, but can you yeah. give it a go? I'm just yeah. really curious to see if there's a benefit. Maybe I should have one. If one of my athletes is listening, tell me if you can. Because generally, if I'm, I'm doing a program for people, you're exactly right. You know, It's generally yeah. going to have a theme. Friday might be yeah, sort of a pace variation chase. Yeah. Um, and, and this is the swimming. So okay. Instead of doing 
you know, six, four hundreds to send one to three, it might be 12, two hundreds or something like yep. that. So the sessions are going to have a similar sort of pattern to them. Um, but it's but rare, that, rare that I would do the same session. Yeah. Um, but, but certainly other coaches will do that. And, and it might be, <clears throat> yeah, you're repeating a set of 3100. Well, the thing for week. me is, is it's A, you're learning a session as well. Mm. You know, because it's like, I get it, obviously, and that's, I think, that, you know, when I did squads, the coach always did something different. Mm. I don't know, when you do elite squads, what's it like? Uh, you know, you'd, you'd have that sessions that come along, and especially, I know that a lot of the Aussie coaches, you've got that classic one, but you wouldn't be repeating this, a very similar session week after week after week. For, it's bizarre. For Why isn't that in swimming? Mm. Don't know. You know, I wonder, it's, you've got to keep the interest level, and if you know, sometimes if you know you're turning up to a session, that might excite you going, right, Every week is going to be thirty one hundred. Well, because you, well, you know your numbers. Okay, last mm. week I did this. Here's where I'm trying to get. But if you don't like it and you're turning up and you turn up in a really negative frame of mind, or you don't turn up at all, um, yeah, it's just interesting because like often in running, you'll you'll do the same sessions for three or four times and then you'll mm. progress them. So yeah, it's just I find it really fascinating. Okay, let's go to our patrons. Uh, Paul Madman Mitchell. We've got Sean the Big Dipper Bonsell. And Melissa Bigfoot Uri. Okay, if you want to become a patron, go to www.imtalk.me. You can also get a show emailed to you there. Uh, when you become a patron, you get gifts, you support the boys. Uh, yeah, and that's probably the most important thing. Uh, and you're going to draw to win some cool prizes as well. If you want to get some coaching, go to coachjohnnewsom.com. Also, you can get Epic Camp's interest there, especially this new one that appeared today out of nowhere. So Aussies... Uh Borders officially one and hundred percent opened yesterday. Yeah, no restrictions at all. I still have got this camp in October, um, where there's space if you want to come over. It's going to be awesome around the top of the South Island. Awesome preparation for um, Ironman New Zealand if you're doing in December or just getting ready for for summer, as well as an adventure on its own. Uh, otherwise, still a few couple of slots left for Rote next year, and then 2024 is going to be a Kona camp, and is going to be uh, Emberman, uh, not Emberman, uh is going to be up to us. Uh, and then if you want to get my podcast, BevanJamesOldShow.com. Now, John, I think I found the triathlon result. Oh, it's not here. ABCDFGS. They don't have the result. They've got every other event from the Commonwealth Games in 1990. Except triathlon, because it was a demonstration sport. But you still think you had the result? Yeah. That's a bit poor. I think, I think they opened it up to quite a big field. Okay. So you definitely had internationals there. But I think there was, you know, quite a few people per team. And I think there was also a junior race maybe in I don't know if there was an age group race. But yeah, it was uh it was big. Who do you reckon won the hundred metres men's sprint? Linford Christie. No, Mark Woods. Mm. Pretty slow time. One point ten point seven. Disappointing. Oh, wait a second. No. I can't believe they're going to triathlon. I get it. It was just, you, know, you still have the result on here. Yeah. Yeah. If you could win an Olympic medal in any sport other than triathlon, I've done this before, but I'm going to do it again. What would you choose? Running race, probably 1500. you got to be a sprinter, don't you? Nah. You're the man. 1500, you get to, it's all over in the 100 metres. No one knows a 1500 metre water. Yeah, they do. Everyone knows that. Al Garouge. Who? Al Garouge. See? Who? <laughs> he was a machine. <laughs> Who's Al Garouge? Never heard of him. Uh, and he was great. Uh, he was Walker's time. Sorry, before Walker or after Walker? No, no, way after that. He was would have been probably around the Sydney sort of time, something like that. Do we have any great run, runners coming through in New Zealand? Um, it's pretty hard to be good at running. Yeah. They're, they're really good, but competing against East African countries pretty oh, challenging. Well, it's got a couple of gold medals, Olympic medals. Mm -hmm. You got a silver and a bronze, didn't he? Mm -hmm. 
It's pretty impressive. Mm-hmm. Very impressive. Oh, Nicholas. Okay, John, what you got? Uh, I did a science experiment with my oh, son. Back it up. Here we go. And uh, triathlon related here. So Tom had to do a science project and he wanted to do it. So you did his... Yeah, it's bloody hard for kids not to just take over. It really is. (laughs) Did I tell you the story about a friend of mine who was a school teacher and his kid hasn't... Screw this, I'll do it myself. And they only got a C. (laughs) They were so upset (laughs) they couldn't complain. (laughs) (laughs) He's not getting an A for this. Okay, uh, Okay. so the experiment experiment was Tom wanted to figure out tyre pressure and what's sort of the optimal tyre pressure. Okay. So what we went and did, measured out a 500 metre course uh, and we started at 60 psi. And, and, we, and you had to keep the same wattage, obviously. Yep. So I was my, I was riding at 500 meters. Oh, you're the, you're the you're the. I was the subject. Yep. And had to try to hold 200 watts. And we started at 60 psi. Repeated each 500 meter stage three times through to try to get a get a good yep. average, and then increased by 10 psi each time until we got up to 110. What about wind? Wind was a problem. <laughs> the wind. Uh, I, we thought it was a bit of a calm morning, but there was a bit of a bluster. It wasn't blustery, but there was enough of a wind to certainly make a difference. Yep. And the road surface was pretty shit as well. I guess it sounds like a great experiment. But anyway, um, Tom was Tom's hypothesis was probably that 100 psi was going to be going to be the the optimal sort of tire pressure to get the maximum speed. As it turned out, the results were a little bit all over the place. So, okay. like 60 psi actually turned out was the second fastest, but that was when there was the least wind. And as soon as I started each one, you get a few seconds in, you're going, "Oh, this one's not going to be a good one because there's a bit of a gust of wind there." Um, so the wind did did affect things. But then when you actually go and and, and I'm not a tire pressure expert or, or tire expert whatsoever. But the old thinking is you put a shitload yeah, of pressure into yeah. those tyres and you get them cranked up as hard as you can and that's going to be the best method. Um, so then Tom, we did the experiment. It turned out, I think, uh, 90 PSI ended up being the fastest time, but oh, everything really? was within a second and some of the ones at, ni- at 60 PSI were quicker. It was a bit all over the place. There wasn't any sort of linear relationship whatsoever. Um, it was quite interesting from my point of view is once you got up to 110 PSI, our roads are really crappy over in New Zealand. It was quite uncomf- really uncomfortable compared oh, really? to the 60 PSI. Um, it was really felt quite hard. And but then you know then Tom has to go away and do his research and I help him a little bit with there and and I knew I knew the results before before we got there is these days it is not about having the maximum tire pressure and it's going to vary quite a bit and we'll we'll get we should get somebody on to talk about this in a bit more detail um, it's going to vary from country to country in New Zealand our roads are shittier you have a little bit less pressure other places you have a little bit more but you're certainly getting it's certainly thinking less rather than more these days you know in that 90 sort of ish range is sort of optimal whereas back in the is day is it tire science sorry is it tire science? Um, it's also the materials that, that as well is, okay. is really important in terms of the casings and so on. Um, but back in the day when we first started, we were trying to get 120 psi easily in there. Did you ever these blow days, them up? sorry, did you ever blow them up? Uh, I personally, I didn't. But Jesus, you, you know about it when someone blows oh, yeah. it. You hear a tubular go off and or a tire go off and transition. It is a big time gunshot. Yeah. So I guess the main message out of there is um, when you start looking at the the, the data. Uh, the, I, I read one article and it, the, he said the pretty much no correlation between tyre pressure and um, and going faster. So tyre pressure doesn't really matter. It's really much more about thinking about the conditions, thinking about the road surface, uh, 
and the materials of the tire is really important in terms of how it sort of changes shape as the, the tire moves around. So it is worthwhile investing a little bit in some good racing tires. So that was my Saturday afternoon. Any other goss? Uh, any other goss has been Commonwealth Games watching, and that's about it, Bevan. What about you? Well, John, I'm going to give a big life lesson here. Mm-hmm. I'm ready for it. Don't go to Burger King. I don't mind Burger King. Here we go. I don't mind when, when, King. when Joe gets a bit on the turps, which doesn't happen often, and she never really lets go, which is a bit disappointing because I, you know, I'm like a bit of a wild child. And we went to a, we had a friend who bought the house behind them, which is a flat, and they, it was pretty run down. They've done it up. So they had a flat warming party. Mm-hmm. It was a pretty small flat, but it was quite cool, and it's, it's a good bunch of people. So we had, we had drinks, and Joe, my wife cracks me up because you go to other people's parties and be the host. Like she's the person walking around, you know, doing, oh, yeah. you know, yeah. <laughs> she's so considerate. I'm just like, yeah. give me the food, leave me yeah. alone. <laughs> and so here's Joe walking around doing, the, being the good host yeah. and very helpful. And, um, but she often doesn't eat much herself. Mm-hmm. So often when she's had a couple of wines, we'll, we'll stop at Burger King. Mm-hmm. And she gets a salad burger, and I've normally I haven't held back on food. Yeah. Really. So I don't need a lot. Sometimes I'll get a Sunday. Do you like a Sunday? Yeah, Sunday's good. What's your favourite flavour? Caramel. Oh, mm. I love strawberry. Yeah. Imagine if they had strawberry caramel. Mm. Strawberry's a bit artificial. Oh, I don't know. We yeah. need that big chunk of strawberry in there. Although, I'll tell you what makes you really sick. And caramel's not. <laughs> when you, if you go and you get the double dosage so you get it on the bottom and on the top oh yeah that's sickly that is you feel a bit ill after that yeah well, they didn't have any ice cream so I couldn't get a sundae oh, first uh, reason not to go there yeah so then they said do you want a dessert and I was like I don't really want to but it's kind of a funny place so I said you get the hot cake I'll get the, the mud no, the, the chocolate volcano cake whatever mm-hmm. it is so I get it but then there's the ice cream so <laughs> it was horrible because you didn't have the coldness yeah so that was a disaster and then so Joe gets the, and I just said I'll get a little snack and Joe got the, the salad burger, and I thought, well, I like... A uh, salad burger. Oh, yeah, so it's got no meat or anything. No, it's just, just salad. <laughs> Literally some lettuce and a piece of... Bun. <laughs> That's my wife. She's Tell there. her to come around to my place, I'll make her one up, and I'll charge you 15 bucks for that. So then, well, here's where we're going, John. So I thought, well, I've, I've eaten, I don't need a lot, but I love myself some chicken sticks or something like that. And I don't, not nuggets, they have these chicken sticks. So you got a chicken burger and you ate the chicken out of it. No, 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 no. I just got chicken sticks. Yeah. You know, they, and it was like you could get six for five bucks or eleven for twelve for eleven bucks. I thought I got eleven. You know. Well, what a waste of money they were. Yeah. And on the on on the picture, they looked like big long chicken sticks, and I was like, yeah. sweet. They're about that big. Uh, so like they're small, probably smaller than a nugget. Yeah. So I got eleven chicken sticks for eleven bucks, sure. and it didn't even not that the gap needed filling. But I was not. Don't go to Burger King. No, because I don't do fast food. I don't. We don't. I don't. I haven't done KFC in New Zealand in a long time. I haven't done McDonald's. You know, but the the drunken Burger King occasionally mm. is the one thing we'll do. But they've lost me, John. Mm. Don't rip me off. Oh, yeah. Hey, if I paid five bucks for it, fair enough. Fair enough. But give me my ice cream. Yeah, <laughs> very no, disappointed. I'm in the same boat. Don't go to those places much at all. These if you days. were to go, where would you go? Uh, I would go to Burger King. Yep. Oh, and a KFC. Yeah, K fry is pretty good. I have seen for people that don't go to places we seem to be talking about a lot. Uh, looks like there's a Big Mac chicken Big Mac now. Yeah, but does that appeal to you? I don't know. It appeals enough to pinch the camera, try it, and then I'll go away and go. That was a really bad decision. Yeah, uh, that sure was that disgusting. Uh, one thing I would say is I wouldn't mind owning a KFC. 
Right, yeah. <laughs> because we got the one down Colombo Street, mm-hmm. you know, so I drive down it every night. It's always queues coming out. And every time I drive past, I go, I need to own a KFC. Yeah. Because they must print cash. Mm. Seriously, every time I drive, even in the middle of the day, there's always people driving that play the KFC. Mm. So, yeah, there we go. So, do, we're healthy people, John. Don't That's do right. fast food. There we go. Uh, okay, I'm Russ. I'm Indo. Train hard. Train smart. Kick hard.